gentlemen, meet your Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts? Are they the exciting new heroes the world needs? Thunderbolts, strike! Today makes at least half a dozen times the Thunderbolts have done the job we used to depend on the Avengers for. It allowed us to move among you, disguising who we really are. The Masters of Evil! In what is now becoming an old story, the Thunderbolts once again save the city. Enough of this hero talk. You will do as you're told. But... He's right. You may be wearing a Songbird costume, but underneath you're just screaming me. I can expose all of you right now. So you see, you really have no choice. You know what? We're done playing these parts. It's time to live these parts. No one betrays Zemo. Figures, just when we go in on this hero thing, our blood runs out. Avengers, Defenders, Thunderbolts, I make any team better. We're Norman Osborn's A-team, and he's the big man in charge now. This isn't the team I used to lead. You, honey, are under arrest. You have to fight for what's right every single day, bulletproof skin or not. The Thunderbolts have worked hard to change people's minds about us, but apparently we've got a ways to go. Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning. This is the show where we do chronological coverage of Marvel Comics Thunderbolts. And I am Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, but I'm not alone. I am joined by two, count them, two of my fellow Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning fan holes give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight hey it's mike and steve rogers is captain america and this is justin yeah so we're here tonight we're, we're kind of going off the beaten path with our regular routine normally on this show we cover an issue of the ongoing marvel comics thunderbolts we're going in chronological order issue by issue and then in the back half we'd have a historical segment that would deal with either you know maybe a, a member of the thunderbolts or some kind of historical trivia that connects it to the marvel universe and sometimes kind of like with our, our uh, you know heroes reborn the return episode sometimes there are some stories that are just too big to be contained in that back half of the historical segment. So this one I'm kind of referring to as Zemo Spotlight. We're doing some Zemo Spotlight stuff, and we're going to be talking about Captain America issue 275 to 278. We're mainly focusing on the front half of the stories that deal with the arc that introduces basically the modern version of Baron Zemo, not the, the Phoenix character that we covered in one of the previous historical segments. So, of course, this was published by Marvel Comics. The cover dates were from November 1982 to February 1983. Of course, the on-sale dates are a little tricksy. They were August 3rd, 1982 to November 2nd, 1982. The cover price of these was a whopping 60 cents. The editor was Mark Grunewald. The writer was J.M. DeMatteis, penciler Mike Zeck, inker John Beatty, letterer Jack Morelli, colorist Don Warfield, and Bob Sharon. The titles of the four issues, Yesterday's Shadows, Turning Point, In Thy Image, and Oh, Thus Be It Ever. And I shamelessly stole my synopsis from a pretty cool site called MarvelHeroesLibrary.com that was written by a gentleman named Peter Silvestro. 
Captain America enters S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters through their secret hologram entrance. He meets with Agent Gail Runciter to find if they have learned anything about the doe-like creature that he fought in issue 270 and to apologize for his rudeness to her way back in issue 268. While Runciter sits on the assessment of the captured vermin, Cap stops by to check on Michael, Arnie Roth's friend who was injured in the adventure from issue 270 when his mind was forced into a robotic body. Later, Steve Rogers is returning from grocery shopping with Bernie Rosenthal and Anna Kappelbaum when they see that the local synagogue has been defaced with a swastika on the front doors. They learn from the rabbi that the inside has been vandalized as well with the Torah being stolen. This is the latest in a series of recent incidents against Jewish centers in the country, and they may have been inspired by a planned neo-Nazi rally on Long Island. Bernie tells Steve there is a counter-demonstration being organized and that everyone from the building plans to be there. Interlude 1, a masked figure ponders a family portrait, then vows that Captain America must die! Spoilers, this is the first appearance of Baron Helmut Zemo, whose identity will not be revealed until a future issue. Interlude 2, Neo-Nazi leader Harry Todd whips his followers into a frenzy with a fountain of hateful rhetoric to prepare for the rally. Interlude 3, Samuel Wilson, aka Cap's partner, the Falcon, announces he will be a candidate for Congress. Williams, a reporter from the Daily Bugle, aggressively questions Sam about his criminal background, expressing skepticism that a man can truly reform. Sam reacts angrily, and the press conference is hastily concluded. Later that week, Steve stops by an advertising agency to deliver some artwork, but when he hears the manager, Mr. Bennett, make an anti-Semitic remark, he tears up his work and angrily storms out. On the day of the Nazi rally, Steve is there at Robert Moses State Park with Bernie, Josh, Mike, and Mrs. Kappelbaum. Bernie introduces them to Sammy Bernstein, organizer of the anti-Nazi protest and Bernie's ex-husband. Steve and friends are somewhat taken aback by this discovery. As the Nazis begin their hate-filled speeches, Steve and company are surprised to discover they only number a few and that the protest group is actually inflating their importance by attracting the media's attention to their rally. Sammy starts spouting anti-Nazi rhetoric, whipping his followers into a frenzy, and the supposedly peaceful demonstration becomes a violent clash between the two groups. Elsewhere, the masked figure leaves off watching the televised rally to press a button, restoring Doughboy to life. The blob-like creature grows and bursts out of its tank at Shield HQ and smashes through the walls, picking up the freed vermin in its wake. It crashes through to the room where Arnie is sitting with Michael. At the rally, Steve takes advantage of the chaos to duck away and change into Captain America. He leaps on the stage where Sammy Bernstein and Harry Todd are locked in combat. Cap addresses the crowd to denounce both the Nazis and those who would adopt their hate tactics to oppose them. Harry and Sammy leap at Cap simultaneously, and Cap swiftly steps to one side, allowing the two maniacs to fall on their faces. But Bernie, watching all this, has suddenly recognized that Steve Rogers is Captain America. Things have been cleared up after the riot at the neo-Nazi rally. Nazi leader Harry Todd takes a pot shot at Captain America, who clobbers him with his shield. Anti-Nazi leader Sammy Bernstein thanks Cap for talking sense into him as he is being led away to jail. And Bernie Rosenthal looks at Cap in such a way that he realizes she knows his secret identity. Interlude. An executive at the Coalition for an Upstanding America has the idea of asking Captain America to endorse their organization. 
Steve is afraid to go home because he can't face Bernie. She sees him and runs out to meet him. They reaffirm their love for one another, but are interrupted by Gail Runciter calling him to a meeting with, quote-unquote, the boss. Cap goes to S.H.I.E.L.D. HQ, where Nick Fury tells him that Arnie Roth and Michael Bech were carried off by a monster last issue, and the villains left an invitation for Cap to come rescue them. At the late-night rendezvous, Cap is approached by a mystery man who turns out to be an android, which takes him for a ride in a small air car to a dark castle in the wilderness. Walking down a creepy corridor, Cap is mobbed by androids, which ooze out from the walls. He fights them off and enters a lab where he finds Arnie and Michael in life support tubes. The lights come on, revealing his enemies to be Arnim Zola and the new Baron Zemo. Captain America is now the captive of the new Baron Zemo, son and namesake of his wartime nemesis. This Zemo is seeking revenge for Cap's destruction of his father and for their own earlier encounter which left Zemo's face burned. And now Zemo is going to systematically destroy the life of Steve Rogers. His agent, Arnim Zola, reveals that he is not the mad biologist, but his shape-shifting creation, Primus. Primus then takes on the form of Steve Rogers. Cap leaps at him, but passes out as he has been drugged. Interlude. Advertising executive Arthur Bennett decides to offer the job of illustrating the campaign for the Coalition for an Upstanding America to Steve Rogers. Meanwhile, Cap wakes up in a dungeon chained beside the feral vermin. Zemo explains that he has transferred the minds of Arnie Roth and Michael Bech into monstrous mutate bodies with exposed brains. Out of their minds, they attack Cap and Vermin, putting Cap in the difficult position of protecting himself from harm while preventing Vermin from injuring the mutates. This is more difficult than it sounds, and Vermin rips open a mutate brain and Michael dies. The other mutate collapses as Arnie awakens and accuses Cap of letting his friend die. Epilogue, the phony Steve Rogers goes home with Cap's girl, Bernie Rosenthal. In the dungeons of Baron Zemo, Arnie Roth accuses Captain America of having let his roommate Michael die at the claws of vermin. Zemo gloats that his scheme of turning all of Cap's friends against him is succeeding. The villain then sends his mutates into the room to destroy them. Cap holds them off while the cowardly vermin slips away after Zemo. Arnie tells Cap that due to the manipulation of his consciousness while he was in a mutate body, he discovered that the monsters were once people people who might be cured. Cap lets that sink in and then appeals to the mutates to reclaim their humanity and rebel against Zemo. Cap takes Michael's body, as there's a possibility he may still be alive, and they exit the dungeon. They find Zemo in his lab. Arnie punches him out as the mutates destroy the palace. Suddenly, Gale Runciter and other S.H.I.E.L.D. agents come to the rescue, guns ablazing. Cap has to stop them from hurting the mutates, and in the confusion, Zemo escapes. The villain takes off in an air car, and just as he heaves a sigh of relief, he discovers he has an unwanted passenger, an angry, growling vermin. Baron Zemo screams. The next day, Steve Rogers and Bernie Rosenthal are having a quiet lunch at a neighborhood diner when Captain America strides in and challenges, quote-unquote, Steve to a fight. So yeah, this is a 
This is a ongoing Marvel comic series with all kinds of subplots, and you know, there's no real strong beginning, you know, and end to it. It's it's you know, storylines are continuing as they end, and you know, your your A storyline is concluded with Baron Zemo, but there are plenty of B and C storylines that will then develop into A storylines, but. This was something that I wanted to put on our list for a long time because, I, yeah, I know we covered the first appearance of the Phoenix and that kind of, you know, takes care of, you know, Zemo to a degree. But I think this is the first appearance of Zemo as, you know, most of us were introduced to him, you know, the 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 Secret Wars figure, you know, the, the villain of Captain America, the one who wanted vengeance for his father and that kind of deal. So I figured this would be something fun to bring to the show. And, you know, something that we could talk about for a little bit. So, I, I don't know. Have you guys have you guys ever read this before? Like, what's your, I guess, history with this particular storyline that we've kind of just kind of, you know, done a little encapsulation of? I, I've never read this before, but I've seen it referenced, like, tons of times. Like, I know, like, I knew it was significant for being, you know, Helmet Zemo's, like, first appearance as, you know, Baron Zemo and not, you know, the Phoenix, which, you know, we, I think we talked about it in the very first episode of this spinoff show. But, uh, it, like, uh, I've seen tons of the, the things that are brought up in this are, like, I, I've seen them referenced in tons of future stuff. And like, I know it's J.M. Mateus, so of course, you know, like he's obsessed with vermin. Like, I mean, and this is one of the first appearances of vermin. So, but like he keeps bringing vermin back, like uh, and especially in Spider-Man. Like, well, whenever he has like that's that's his. I mean, you know, and at least at least he had a hand in creating it. But yeah, that that's one of his pet characters. I mean, to me, at least it's a little better than than, you know, something like Bendis you know, having Spider-Woman as a pet character because he yeah. really he just likes the character but didn't have much to do with them. Whereas, you know, J.M.D. Mateus created Vermin. Right. So that's that. I mean, and Vermin has shown up, you know, a few times in Cap before. And then for me, it's interesting because I was trying to follow like because I, I was kind of like. Well, wait. This ends with Baron Zemo and Vermin stuck in the the Shield Fighter together, you know. And Baron Zemo is presumably getting his comeuppance. But you know, the next time we see Baron Zemo, he's just talking to Mother Superior, and he, it doesn't look like he's wounded. It doesn't look like he's, you know, I don't know, recovering from scars or anything like that. It just looks like he's kind of, you know, I don't know, a little lost in the world. And and then and then you know, Mother Superior comes and takes him to the red skull. And what I think is interesting is Vermin's next appearance basically cements how he gets transferred, you know, like, cause you know, basically Vermin was a Captain America villain to start with. And you're like, if you're wondering how he became a Spider-Man villain, cause he goes on to be a Spider-Man villain. And as Mike has said, he makes a litany of appearances in Spider-Man, like, you know, multiple appearances appears over and over again. They, they go back to that. Well, quite a bit with vermin, but how, how he got transferred was there's a Marvel team up issue 128. And I think that was the month they were doing like all those photo covers. So on that it's Captain America and Spider-Man, but of course it's like some Marvel staffers or whoever they hired models or whatever. And they're dressed as Captain America and Spider-Man, and it's kind of like a photo cover. But the contents of the story are written by J.M.D. Mateus. And, you know, basically it's team-up, and it, it, it's it's almost, 
charming reading it because it's the first time Spider-Man's ever met Vermin. And so it's like this kind of naivete of like, who's this guy, Cap? Like, boy, he seems like a doofus. Like, I'm going to whip. You know what I mean? Like, it's not quite, you know, it's not quite as realized or serious or heavy as it eventually gets with that character so i i I found like looking at that kind of charming but again i i found no answers to as you know how vermin and baron zemo you know i don't know if the ship just crashed and they went their separate ways or you know there's no real story that explains how they you know went their separate ways after this yeah this is like Demetrius even does sort of a sequel to this story later on in spectacular spider-man where Spider-Man fights like Helmet Zemo and Vermin's there and there's, you know, all the sort of psychological terror and analysis like that is atypical of, uh, you know, Demetrius or typical, I should say. But yeah, like, I mean, I've seen like, you know, not only Vermin, but, you know, Zemo himself. I mean, this is his like core motivation for the next like 20 years, probably. So, I mean... Like, this is, you know, where the modern version of the character really kind of takes off, so. Yeah, yeah. What what about you, Justin? Like, what was your introduction to this story? Like, is this something you'd read before and you're revisiting, or is this something that you're reading for the first time? I think this is my first time. I don't have any memory of reading this. Like, I kind of went into it thinking I had read it, but then when I sat down and actually read the issues, I was like, I have no memory of this. And I've read, like, you know, big swaths of Captain America comics. I mean, I've not I've not read everything from this volume, but I was, you know, fairly certain I had read like most of like the, you know, the big stuff, the important stuff and the good stuff, but you know, the more I just flipped through these issues, I was like, I have no, you know, I felt like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. I was like, I have no memory of this, and it was kind of a, uh, you know, it was kind of interesting. I mean, I, I'd go to bat and say it's definitely the good stuff, and, and I, I, yeah. I don't know if it's arguable about importance, but I mean, at least for, for the purposes of this podcast, you know, this is this is pretty important Captain America story because it's dealing with, you know, basically, you know, essentially one of the main characters of what we've been talking about for the last, you know, year of, of issues and everything. I guess for myself, just, just so people are in the loop, like, th- this, this was all part of that. I, I, I did... I, I have read this entire volume of Captain America. You know, some some stuff I had read off the stands, you know, some of the Ron Lim stuff, and I, I think I had gone on to read, like, other, you know, things from the stands, like the, the Mark Wade, Ron Garney run, you know, thing, you know, various runs over the years, you know, different creators. You know, some of the Mark Grunewald stuff, you know, obviously some of the, the Captain issues and different things like that. But for some of the earlier issues, uh, a lot of them... The first time I read them was, you know, leading up to the the first Avenger movie, you know. So back in, say, 2011 or so, I did this, you know, sort of massive read-through. And, I mean, with, with some exceptions, I mean, I did not read all the the Golden Age type stuff, you know, the Timely comic stuff. I've, I've read some of that, but I've never read it all, you know, like all, you know, 90-something issues or whatever that is. Because that... I gotta be honest, like, that kind of wear, would wear pretty thin on me, but I started with, you know, Tales of Suspense and all that kind of stuff, and then when it became the ongoing Captain America title, I just did a complete, you know, chronological, in-order read-through, and 
you know, this was one of those books where, you know, like yourselves, like at that point, you know, I had heard a lot about it because I had read a lot of those Spider-Man stories with Berman. And I, I knew that this was the first time, you know, Baron Zemo showed up, but it was the first time I was reading it. So it's, you know, it's interesting to make all those connections and kind of just see like, oh, okay, this is where it originated from. And of course, this run is, I mean, it, it's well written. You know, it's GM DiMatteis. Like, it's very well written. It, it's it's got fantastic art. I mean, it's it's Mike Zek at the top of his game. John Beatty has wonderful inks. You know, so like all that stuff to me is just like wow. Like this is you know like like sometimes I think especially when you're younger too, it's easy to maybe uh, disregard a book if if you're not interested in any one of those aspects. You know what I mean? Like if you're not if you're not a fan of the art, it's easy to sort of you know, kind of turn the other cheek at a book or something like that. Or, or if you're not too crazy about the writing, you know, and it just has pretty pictures, you might not get as invested in the story and you might just appreciate the art. Right. But this has a perfect convergence of all those things. Like I, I would say this is one of the really good, you know, in terms of writing and art, you know, one of the really good cap runs. And of course it's from a different age, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't quite, pa I mean, you could package this as a trade paperback. I think they would probably include the, um, you know, maybe 279, maybe even 280, because there, there's some bits that get followed up on this. I mean, if you look at, you know, I, I don't want to get too much into, you know, some of the stuff that kicks this off. But, you know, if, if you look at the the plot with, you know, Cap kind of, you know, I guess refereeing between the two opposing parties, right? Like he, you know, you've got the the these neo Nazis, and then you've got you know this. Uh, I think they called them the. Um, I want to say like POJ. I forget what it stood for, but it was like you know basically it was you know a Jewish organization that was protesting against the neo Nazis, right? And like if you look at it on its own, like one of the things that finally spurs Steve Rogers to joined Bernie at the rally is he's working for a guy named Mr. Bennett and Mr. Bennett runs an advertising agency. And of course, you know, this is at the point where they decided that Steve Rogers was an artist. And so some of the jobs he, he had over the course of the comic book, you know, involved him using his art skills and everything. And so since he's working for this advertising agency, he's been doing a bunch of art, you know, promotional art, poster art, like all this kind of stuff for this ad agency. And he brings in all this great art and then, you know, he ends up hearing Mr. Bennett say something about, ah, that old Jew, like, put him on hold or whatever, you know, I'm I'm busy looking at this art or whatever. And, and that kind of, you know, helps Steve make up his mind. You know, he kind of rips up his art and, you know, he's all mad about it and everything. And, and, and he goes off to join Bernie at the, the rally and everything. But what, what I find interesting about it is if, if you just took 275 on its own, you know, people are really quick to judge and they say, oh, that guy must have been a jerk. Like Steve's right for ripping up his art and going his own way or whatever. And that kind of thing. But if you if you read till 280, 280, he, he, he you know, there's, a, you know, it's a it's a C subplot. It's not part of the action. It's not really important. I think by like 278 or 279, he's like, hey, you know what, secretary, phone up Steve Rogers. Like, I need to make amends with that man, you know? And then by the time you get to 280, he says, look, I was out of line. I apologize, like, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And he takes him out to lunch. And then, I mean, you got to be, you got to look at it in, in terms of, you know, he, he basically 
goes on to work for him. Like the, the next job switch Steve Rogers has, I think, doesn't happen until maybe like 317 or 319. It's like when he starts, you know, it's the thing everybody always likes to point and laugh at, right? He, he works for Marvel Comics as a Marvel Comics artist, right? And And so that doesn't happen until what, like 40 issues later? So, I mean, it's like, yeah, he the guy was out of line for one minute, but it turned out he was an okay guy to work for for all that time. So it's like, I don't know, like like, like that kind of stuff I find interesting. Or like, it's it's weird, like reading the, the beginning of the story where they have Anna Kappelbaum talk about Debenvald. And like, she says... If you had lived through it as I had, Stephen, you know, you, you would know who in heaven could have done such a thing or whatever. But what cracks me up about it is if you pay attention to the story, like he straight up says in his speech at the end of these guys, like if you had been there like I had at Debenfold and seen who he liberated, you, you wouldn't be doing all this petty bullshit with one another. You know what I mean? And and like that, that's kind of interesting to me because it's like, you know. Anna Keppelbaum probably has no way of knowing that, like, Steve Rogers lived through World War II, right? Because he's a young-looking guy that, you know, some young friend of hers is dating, right? But it's interesting that they, you know, it's like Steve doesn't try to correct her or, you know, go, um, I, I was there, too, you know, or whatever. But, but like, it's kind of the underlining, like, he doesn't have to say anything, you know? He's he's protecting his secret identity, but he's also... He, he has an understanding of it, but part of that is letting keeping people in the dark that he has that understanding of it until he's Captain America, you know? So it's like, I don't know, like, that, that kind of stuff, like, I, I guess, for me, it's like, I, I find it interesting because a lot of times today, you know, people are quick to judgment and take sides and also kind of just say, you know... I don't know, like, Cap basically just says, like, look, like, don't turn into what you hate. And that's, to me, a valid point of view, right? Like, which I don't think a lot of people really can stomach hearing today, you know? Like, because, you know, everybody, I guess, you know, it's funny because, like, the guy Sammy, he calls Captain America self-righteous. But, I mean, in some ways, like, that character is just as blindly self-righteous you know and doesn't realize the harm he's causing too right so you know that's th that's the key i think is you know they have that line where cap says you're only interested in your own self-consuming hate and i mean if that doesn't describe like twitter to a t man i don't know what does but you know so but i mean you know the the, the rest of the story after that point and i i think it's a good spring point because it, it gives zemo like a really good springboard to come from because he sees what's going on there and there are things that he is willing to take advantage of but like Zemo makes a really clean break and point of saying I have no interest in reestablishing the Third Reich like I don't care about all this neo-nazi bullshit like what I care about is I want Steve Rogers Captain America to fucking suffer like that's my main goal and as far as villains go, like, he's somebody who just, he's got a vendetta against Captain America, and there's nothing better than that, right? Like, he's, he's got his own obsession, but it's, it's very clean, very focused, kind of like the John Beatty inks, you know? Like, I think all this stuff in here is really good, so, I mean, I, 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 I definitely, like, enjoyed reading it when I first came to it, and, and it, to me, it, it kind of, you know, I, I was kind of cracking jokes about it with you guys before, but I mean, it, 
it delves into weird things with Arnim Zola, you know, the whole idea of, you know, genetic experimentation and lots of horrible things that can happen to people that are, you know, abused. But yet there there is that sense of comic book fantasy about it. So it's not quite as depressing or dour or dark, you know, and so so there there's that aspect to it where you, you can see enough to know if you're reading this as a kid with a four-color comic book that that the bad guys are bad and that they're wrong but it's also not so miserable you know that you want to like cry yourself to sleep at night you know what i mean because this is still kind of a fun superhero romp for the most part yeah like it like i said it's typical jm Mateus. i mean there's a there's always like a, a like sort of psychological bent to things and like yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think that first issue is very relevant today. Like what Cap is trying to like you know lay down to both sides of the mob, and uh, yeah, like I I enjoyed reading it. Like I I remember like I really liked that story. Like I read first when we did our like first Captain America episode, where you know the lead up to issue what uh three hundred like with the death of the Red Skull or oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, there was a lot of stuff that, like, happens here that is referenced where, you know, like, you know, Cap's buddy, uh, Arnie, like, he's still getting over the death of, you know, his quote-unquote roommate, you know, Well, you, you know, that, that's that's what was funny about reading this for the, like, because uh, when I read this in 2011, I did a straight read-through. And, you know, you know, like, like, everybody that was probably reading it at the time, I took it at face value. Like, oh, that's his friend, you know? Like, okay, oh, he's really depressed that his friend got hurt. And then I went, oh, shit, wait, they're not just friends. They're not just roommates, you know, and I, I sort of got it and was just kind of like, oh, OK, I get it. And, and you know, there, there's there's two really good moments in in this story. And then I guess the you know, if they were doing a trade, they probably would have collected 279. But I, I thought they were both really good bits. But the, the one bit that I liked in the beginning of this is when Cap comes to visit them. You know, and, and his, his uh, uh, you know, Michael is all in the hospital and everything. And there's that look of, like, relief on Arnie's face. You know, like, like he, he's like, kind of like, thanks, Steve, you're the best. But but it, it, it's it's a sense of relief because I think, I think maybe he was afraid that, like, Steve was going to be like, what, you know, like, w what's going on here, Arnie? Or what, I don't know what he thought was going to happen. But he, he thought at some point, like, Steve would maybe you know, reject him as a friend or something like that. And when Steve just comes in, like, it's no big whoop and is just like, look, I'm just concerned about your friend and I think your friend's doing good and he's gonna, he's gonna be a-okay and all that stuff. Then, you know, it's like Arnie, like, sighs this breath of relief or whatever. And then unfortunately, when, when Michael gets killed by Vermin, like, they, they go to the funeral and everything. And, and what I love about it is it's the thing we always, like, sort of make fun of with the, you know, oh, Bucky, you know, like, all the kind of, you know, like, you know, that was the whole thing with Cap. It's like Stan Lee would have him do these, you know, melodrama monologues, and it would always come back to, like, if it wasn't for me, Bucky, you'd still be alive, and all this kind of bullshit, right? And he does that you know, at the funeral for Michael and Arnie Roth calls him on his bullshit. You know, he's kind of like, wait a minute, man, this is, this is Michael's funeral. Like, this isn't about you. Like, this is about like me grieving and, and Michael being dead. So don't make it about you. And then Cap's kind of like, you know what? You're right. Like, I should stop doing this like melancholy, you know, woe is me, Bucky bullshit. You know, basically he's like telling him, dude, don't be Mr. Cap. 
like be cool cap cap you know and cap's like you're right i'm gonna stop being mr cap you know yeah and an- another thing i kind of like i kind of decided like after you know reading all that stuff leading up to 300 and like reading this stuff too like I think I know you love Diamondback, but I mean Bernie is my favorite girlfriend for Cap. Like, like I don't like not 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 Sharon, like not Diamondback, but like I like like Bernie is my Cap girlfriend. Like I I really like her. Like I think she's you know she's very she's got a lot of spunk. She's got a lot of spunk. Like I I don't know. Like she's yeah I, I don't know. She's a good match for him. Well, you know it's long established. I I pick the most horrible girlfriends for superheroes and myself. So, you always pick so, the bad girl. So, yeah. So, uh-huh. so that's fine. I, I I'll 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 totally acquiesce to your assessment of uh, Bernie's spunk. You know, like I'm I'm good with. Although, that. like I did read on like past that point, like past two seventy nine, where like after the Baron Zemo like stuff ended, like I read a couple more issues and I read like his fight with Primus or whatever, because, you know, he, they have like the, uh, Doughboy or what is it? Primus yeah. uh, is like the, yeah. Like he turns into he, Steve Rogers. Yeah. He turns stuff. into Steve and he like goes out with like Bernie and like, I'm like, Oh no, did she sleep with him? Like, like, cause like this, <laughs> like there's this part where like, you know, Primus takes Bernie like captive and like, you know, he's kind of like, Oh, you're the first like person who's ever been nice to me. And, you know, and then he's like, and like last night and Bernie's like, I don't want to talk about last night. And I was like, Oh no. Like what happened last <laughs> night? Like, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Cause you know, a lot of these, cause you know, like we talk about with comics, the cyclical nature of it and, and you can't have these guys, you know, well you can, but you know, at least back then you couldn't have these guys get you know, married or stay in a serious relationship for very long. And I mean, Bernie doesn't get the, the Sharon Carter treatment where she dies on VHS tape or anything, but I mean, they, they, they subtly kind of make her a good friend and kind of, you know, essentially write her out of the ongoing narrative. Like, you know, basically eventually it's like, she might just be like a lawyer friend to call up or some, some deal like that. And like, she breaks up with him like like it was this really awkward thing where she's just like yeah i'm okay now i don't need to date you anymore and i was just kind of like whoa like that sucks but okay (laughs) you know you have anything on this justin i didn't expect that uh some of these issues would be as heavy as they were and Mm. you know as you guys have discussed so i was kind of like struck by that and i guess it's uh you know commentary on their current state of affairs that unfortunately the message caps uh giving us is just as relevant today as it was when this issue was published i thought that was kind of i don't know it definitely struck a chord with me yeah i don't know i don't want to give cap any crap but i feel like what he's saying is like you know the nice thing that you're supposed to leave it believe in but it's not like very real world or very realistic or at least that's my take on it i mean i you know i I completely agree with what cap is saying you know you once you you know throw the bottle at them you become as they are but um i think unfortunately it's you know not that realistic as you know you can just turn on the news and you can see you know different groups of whoever protesting whatever and you know bottles are constantly thrown so yeah i mean it's 
you know, Cap, I think, you know, a, a lot of that stuff is ideal, right? Like, mm-hmm. ideally, you would recognize, like, that, that you don't want to become the thing that you hate. But what you're saying is, in the real world, like, you know, and I, I think what you're saying is accurate, too, because, you know, we've all kind of said, oh, Cap's message sounds reasonable, but I, I think what you're saying is the reality of it is it falls deaf on basically everybody's ears. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like, like especially especially when people are in the heat of the moment or they they convince themselves that, you know, you know, that their cause is, you know, the the most righteous cause and thus as long as I'm shooting for this this righteousness, no matter what shitty shit I do to along the way to get to that, like it's justified. And so that's I I, I mean, you know, yeah, it's 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 it, you know, of course, you know, this is something where you know Marvel is is you know you know it's like Stanley's always talking about oh Marvel's like you know superheroes were outside in the world next door right to you and all that kind of stuff well you know this is this is dealing with some real world problems and of course the the real world answers to them are not going to be as you know clean cut or or as as straight and forward as you know maybe Cap says but I guess, you know, you fall back into that notion of, well, you know, it's it's the same thing as like Superman or Cap or whoever, right? Like you you sort of you, you look to those people as examples to strive to, right? And it's like, you know, you know, even, you know, even uh, Sammy doesn't immediately, I mean, it doesn't sink into him immediately. But then you, you do have that follow up in the next issue where he's like, look, I thought about what you said. And you know what? You're like, you're right. Like, like I, I did, I did let, you know the the scenario get the better of me you know and and so at least that you know it it basically it doesn't solve the problem overnight but then at least you've got you know uh, i guess what a step in the right direction or something like that i don't know you know it 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 works in the marvel universe because he's captain america right yeah but unfortunately in the real world we have no equivalent of that yeah yeah I also find it not quaint, but a nice, like, I guess, like, throwback to, like, an era where this was, like, in full swing, where Cap has a secret identity, basically. Like, I mean, yeah, like, you know, and uh, most superheroes did in that time. And, like, you know, it's but it's it's just funny to, like, you know, watch it because, you know, Bernie, Bernie figures out he's Cap like and he's still wearing his mask but it's just like oh this guy sounds just like my boyfriend and then she you know when she looks at him like like club close she's like yeah like you have the same jaw like you're my boyfriend you're like you know like yeah so is that is that what is that what zemo was saying too and he was monitoring him on the cameras it's like you have the same jaw you are my boyfriend you know (laughs) i know it was you you know like I, I do love I, 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 I do love when when Zemo has that reveal because you know when he finally like takes off his mask and everything like they they have Zemo do some some fan fucking tastic monologuing in this like you know to to bring it back to the whole you know Thunderbolts thing like that's that's one of those things that that I I basically am like in awe of because Zemo can just like sit there and talk for hours and be compelling and sort of you know, like, I, I don't know, like, it's a combination of things, you know, but it's like, it's funny to me how, you know, a, a lot like how you're always fascinated by how expressive 
you know, somebody like, say, Spider-Man is. You know, it's like this is like a fully masked person and everything. And then, you know, he can be, you know, super expressive when he's like slapping around cap and he's 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 holding his frustrated brow and all that other stuff but like my my favorite thing was like you know you know when he he basically is like i wasn't wearing my mask you know like that's that's his his super finale to all those you know, monologues like, and everything he's like this is like chemicals even burned my taste buds so i can no longer enjoy my turkish delight <laughs> yeah that's funny i mean is that is that uh something you want to delve into a little bit now that we've we've at least seen uh I, I don't know if that's the final word on the cinematic zemo or not i know i know we're sort of in disagreement about that but you know what did you what did you think of uh I guess Zemo's newfound popularity or whatever. I'm glad. Like I, I think, like in in Civil War, I think like they had the essence of the character right, but none of like the trappings of the comic book character. And then like in in Falcon and Winter Soldier, they added in like the trappings of the comic book character. You know the you know he's royalty. You know they gave him the fur coat. You know they let him wear the mask at least like you know for like two minutes. But you know and and his and once you have the trappings, like the essence still comes across like clearly. He's like, you know, a master manipulator. You know, he he's he has a vendetta like and, you know, it, you, they got him pretty, you know, pretty right. And I think he's a, I, I'm, you know, it's the kind of joy you get when like something you love is like recognized by other people. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Like, yeah, where yeah. I'm I like, that. yeah, see. Like I'm like, see, Zemo is awesome. Like you know, it's like, like he's, well, he's the man. Like now, now we can we can firmly, resolutely say they always knew I was cool. You know, that's, <laughs> yep. that's you know, we thought Zemo was cool first. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I you know, th th there's there's things about that show. You know, I could take or leave or whatever. But I mean, Zemo Zemo came off pretty well. I do. I mean, this might be a point of contention between. Uh, you know, me and Justin and yourself, but I, I do feel like it kind of said the final word on him, though, because if he's, you know, if he's as adamant against super soldiers as he is in, in you know, Civil War and now Falcon and the Winter Soldier, like, one, I don't see him ever forming a Masters of Evil. Two, uh, you know, I, I know you've, you've, and I'll let you talk about it, but, you know, you've, You've made some some points on how you could see uh, uh, Thunderbolts continuing even with that sort of philosophy in place, but I I kind of felt like my gut reaction was oh so I guess there's not going to be any Thunderbolts then you know like that was that was my immediate gut reaction to his you know seeing his m mantra fully realized I guess. Well, my 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 response to that is like. I think there's enough wiggle room for him to like bend his principles sort of and like, or maybe, you know, make some exceptions. Like I think maybe he, he can make some exceptions for some like technology based enhancements or whatever. And you could probably have Thunderbolts characters like using like technology and not being like superhumans per se. And like, if that doesn't work, like, I mean, suppose he's forced to lead the Thunderbolts, like he's in the raft, like suppose like, you know, Thunderbolt Ross or someone mm. grabs him and says, you know, this is Project Thunderbolts, like we want you to like, you know, run it or whatever, or at least be the field leader, because 
movie Zemo was the field leader of some like special ops team, like mm. they said in Sokovia. So like maybe they don't give him a choice. Like so, and he he has to work with superhumans. So, but yeah, I mean, I I don't. I can see what you mean, like, where, oh, oh, that was, like, the last word on him. But I think he's, like, way too popular now. Like, he was, like, one of the standout parts of the show. Like, I think they mm. have to bring him back that now. They have to use him for something in the future. I mean, it's interesting, because he's, he's at least, in terms of final word, I only mean, you know, maybe narratively, per se. But, like, it is interesting, because he's one of the few Marvel villains that, you know, one, escaped lameitude. And and also like he's not he's not um dead you know he doesn't he doesn't face uh, what uh, you know I will affectionately refer to as you know movie justice you know what I mean like he doesn't he doesn't get shot in the head or blown up or squished or you know whatever whatever happens to movie villains right so. Well, you you post. I think you posted that like meme and like one of the bot talk threads where you're like, you know, it's like they're the like the one off like tire B villains like who die and like are not memorable. But like if you last long enough, you can become a tire A like villain like you know. And it was like Loki, Thanos, and Zemo. Yeah, so, like, yeah, it, yeah. So yeah, if you if you hang in there, right? Like if you somehow by the graces of the screenwriters, you don't you know fly into a mountain or something like you can you can, you know, still redeem yourself, I guess. And I guess, like, you know, since the movie Zemo doesn't really have, like, the sort of, like, Nazi heritage, so, I mean, that's kind of, like, some baggage that, like, he, he like, you know, got to, like, shed so people could actually, you know, relate to him, I guess, or empathize with him. Well, I mean, I, I have some things to say about that, but I probably won't say them, but... But, um, you know, like, I, 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 mean, I, yeah. I still, I still like, like, comic Zemo a whole lot, even though, like, he has, like, a sort of link to, like, you know, a Nazi heritage. But, you know, like, I don't know. I think for some people, it's just easier, like, if he doesn't, basically, for the wider audience. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I think that could be presumably arguable, but, I mean, I, I see what you're saying because they, they lean into the Sokovia thing, you know, but I mean, you know, there, there, there's, there's aspects to it where I, I just found it amusing that people were quick to throw certain characters under the bus, but then over here you got Zemo, who's like the most raging popular dance mix guy ever, and I'm just kind of like, well, if you guys knew he was a Nazi, would you still be like, you know, like, you know, keeping him in your good graces, you know, on the, you know, release the Zemo cut thing and all that kind of stuff, you know? You you have any takes on uh, cinematic Zemo versus comic Zemo, Justin? He is uh, certainly entertaining, but I uh, I kind of did expect him to get killed off at the end of the series because mm. you know that's that's usually what happens to these guys. So when he uh, I mean Bat Batrock got killed off, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, when he uh, survived, I was like, oh, okay, well that's good. Maybe they'll maybe they'll use him again. I mean, they could even bring Batrock back. I mean, he just got, he kind of, like, fell off screen, like, so I don't know, like, I, I like I didn't even see where Sharon shot him, but he just kind of fell off screen, and he was like, oh, sacre bleu. And then... Oh, people were yelling at me because I called Batrock French, and I'm just kind of like, oh, well, in the Marvel Cinematic Oh, yeah, universe, what, what is he, Al Algerian? He's Algerian. I'm just kind of like, okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
Whatever you say. The hell with your Marvel Cinematic Universe! <laughs> I mean, Batroc would be a good, like, cinematic Thunderbolt, probably. Like, mm. he doesn't have super... He's not a superhuman, like, so Zemo would work with him. I do like... Uh, I was going to say one last thing about the comic, like... The, the when we first see Zemo's like bubblegum chewed bubblegum face or whatever, mm-hmm, like I think mm-hmm. it's it's more graphic hair than it ever is like in future. I yeah, feel like yeah, episodes, yeah, or, or future uh, issues. Like I feel like they kind of tone down the probably because it's easier to draw. Like yeah, what, like yeah. they, like they tone down the gristle. Like I mean, I, I I gotta say, you know, it's funny. Like all the years I was imagining what was under the mask of Snake Eyes. And it turns out he's fucking Jonah Hex, and then, you know, fucking, I was expecting Zemo or Spawn hamburger meat the whole time. I gotta say, Zemo at least didn't disappoint me with his mask reveal, you know? (laughs) Zemo's like, Snake Eyes is a pussy! (laughs) Try living like this! Uh, I had glue put on my face because I wasn't wearing my mask! Yeah, I, I, I guess the other thing that this made me wish about, and that's something we always fall into, but it's like, man, I want, I, you know what, I, I don't normally ask for apology figures, but man, I want a, I want a classic, like, with the, the, the wool shoulders and everything. I want I want a really for reals, like, Marvel Legend Baron Zemo, you know? Yeah, what else, uh, I was going to say, what else from these issues, like, I, like, I think, Maybe vermin, like no, a possibility down the line. Well, they they seem to be really heavy, as heavy into doing the comic Spider-Man figures as they do the X-Men figures. So, I mean, if 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 you sold it as part of a Spider-Man wave, I don't I don't see why you couldn't do something like that. I mean, maybe they could even use some tooling from that Jackal figure or whatever. You know? Yeah, like you just need a furry body and you know a new head, basically. Yeah. yeah. You know, give them some ripped pants or whatever. You know. And then they could do a, a Primus figure, but just a gold naked guy, basically. Who who, who makes Mike feel uncomfortable because he's yeah, probably who makes me, he's yeah. probably banged Bernie Rosenthal. Just a little uncomfortable, yeah. <laughs> you were so quote unquote nice to me last night. Uh, I could use someone to be nice to it. me. You know, like... let's move on. <laughs> don't want to talk about it. Problematic. <laughs> Everybody's like, uh-oh. I mean, if Steve Steve is freaked out that Bernie has an ex-husband, I mean... He's like, you fucked the gold guy? What? <laughs> <laughs> He's like fucking Dante from Clerks. 37 dicks, what? You know? Like, Jesus. I know who else I want a Marvel legend of? And they, they hinted at him throughout this story. I think, like, in the, he's on a cliffhanger, like, in 279. The Scarecrow. Oh, like the oh yeah, yeah, Scare- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, you know, it's interesting, because, I mean, he was he was a pretty decent cat villain, but, man, they made him batshit crazy and fucking Ghost Rider. Like, he just lost all of his bananas, you know? Ghost Rider tended to do that with all the characters he sort of appropriated. Like, Madcap turned to shit, and... Scarecrow got really, really dark. I mean, not, not that he wasn't, you know, kind of a little dark to begin with, but, you know. Sca- Scarecrow didn't lose his bananas, Derek. He lost his corn. Ah, ah, yes, yes. Or his straw. I wasn't wearing my straw! <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
Yeah, but I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I thought this is, you know, th- this seemed to be like an essential story that we should talk about and cover, you know, if we're, if we're doing a Thunderbolts podcast. And I know for some of these, it's like, I just figured, hey, look, some of these, you know, it, it, it doesn't fit as just kind of like a backup single historical issue. And I didn't want to put people through, you know, having like, you know, three or four historical issues that were like, index-ish, you know, so I just figured, you know, hey, we'll, we'll just, we'll try to do it, you know, done in one and, and talk about the, the themes that run throughout it, you know, whether it's in the A plot, the B plot, or the C plot, you know, and have fun with that. And yeah, you know, and there's something to be said, like, this is, this is a bygone era, you know, this isn't written for the trade, you know, it, it can't easily be collected or synopsized or condensed or anything like that. There's lots of running subplots and, you know, for the most part, like, to me, that's uh, something that I take a lot of joy in. I guess you know what I mean. It's it's a it's a fun comic book. It's part of a bygone era. It's a medium where you know today. I mean, I you know not to get on a soapbox, but you know I I feel like if people haven't forgotten how to do it, they're certainly not allowed to do it if they remember. You know what I mean? So, I mean, this is this is one of those things where, in you know, nobody took these comics from me, so it's fun to go back and, you know, take a look at them and read them and, you know, appreciate that there used to be, you know, kind of an ongoing soap opera-ish narrative in comic books, and that's why you, you know, fell in love with them, and that's why it made you curious to read the back issues, and that's why it made you have a drive to continue reading the current series, you know? And I think, I think some of that is, uh, you know depending on the books you read today, you know, some of that is, uh, uh, you know, what, like diecast metal, you know, it's a lost art, right? Each, each issue feels like a complete story too. Like, even though it's a, you know, part of a larger story. Yeah. Like I was interested to read further. Cause you know, like I kind of had like the same thought as Mike, like, uh Oh, like what's going to happen with, you know, not cap, like this could get creepy and uncomfortable really quick. And Mike also mentioned it, and I think I mentioned it on the previous podcast, but I really miss, you know, Steve Rogers having some sort of job, like whether he was a cop or an artist. Like it's it's not something they could probably do or even want to do today. Like it's like everyone, you know, thanks to like crap like Secret Empire, I think everyone knows that, you know, Steve Rogers is Cap, right? So if he you know, if they wanted to try and ground him and give him a job like working at a auto plants part or you know a, a, a you know a steel plant or something, like he'd have to like you know grow a mustache and have like a fake ID or or, or something. But he'd, yeah, he'd, I, he'd I, have to be you know frosted tips Ben Riley or <laughs> you know some kind yeah. of kooky disguise. Roger Roger Stevens. Roger Stevens. <laughs> he's got like a he's got like an orange mohawk. Roger Stevens works at the the uh, coke bottle plant or whatever you know Derek maybe you know but like what does anything happen with like that that woman from shield like that he talks with like in the first issue I think it's kind well I don't want to totally blame her but yeah she is kind of a moron like it's partially her (laughs) it's partially her fault that 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 Bernie and and Steve break up like like she's she's kind of like the other woman in that triangle and like the you know they they hint at it in this run and they 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 always constantly you know like 
like Gail Runciter is like wet for cap, right? And like the whole time, it's like she's trying to either make up because she made some blunders or make mistakes or something like that. And if I recall correctly, like I don't remember the specifics, but like from what I remember, there's a moment where like they have a moment of weakness or some such, or she kisses him, but he's not really into it, but Bernie walks in on it or, so, you know, so, something like that goes down, you know, where, where like, like some of that happens. Right. So cat cap should have been like, no, Bernie, it wasn't me. It was Primus. <laughs> Primus like totally was macking on Gale, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Something, something like that happens down the road. So. When I saw who was uh, doing the art on these issues, you know what I thought, Derek? Oh. <laughs> Mike, Mike Zick! Creator of the Black Spider-Man <laughs> costume! Oh, uh, uh, it was... Yeah, that, that, yeah, it's funny, yeah, when when I was reading these, it did make me miss, you know, going to Heroes Con and that, that moment I told you about with me and Luke Dobb where we ran into uh, Mike Zek again at the end of that con that night and all that stuff and made me really wish like oh shit I want to hang out with Mike Zek again you know what I mean like it was just like one of those things where I was like oh fuck I'm sad now you know like not not in a bad way but just like you know I was having that like happy reminiscence of like oh yeah you know Mike Zek creator of the Black Spider-Man costume <laughs> you know all that kind of shit I was just like oh man I was like, I want to I wanna get Mike Zek to sign shit for me and, and, and do things and stuff and see people in person and have his wife go, hey, did you know that Mike Zek did your, did your shirt? I was like, yes. Yes, I absolutely know that. So, yeah. <laughs> get out. Right. Oh, th- th- it'd be funny if I'd be like, I had no fucking idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just wore this by happenstance. Yeah. Ah. For some, for some, <laughs> it's totally like unrelated. But for some reason, like when she asked you that, like suddenly you turned into like that picture of Zemo, and you were like, "What?" <laughs> like like a bubblegum face. It's like, uh, it's like gotten Himmel, gotten Himmel. I wasn't wearing my mask. <laughs> I wasn't wearing my Mike Zek T-shirt. Uh, uh. All right, I think I mean I, I think we're 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 good with this this run of comics and everything. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, of course you can check out the backlog of episodes on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. We've got all the episodes there for you to direct download. If you want to send us some angry, angry emails, you know, if you're like, uh, how dare you suggest that Bernie gave it up to the gold guy, uh, you can send us angry emails at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. We can be found on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and retweets that we receive. We can be streamed. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, and Amazon Music. So until the next time, this is going to be Derek. Derek WC. I wasn't wearing my mask. Signing off. It's Mike Zemo Dance. Zemo Dance. And this is Justin. Release the Zemo cut. Thunder, 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 thunder
They're going to have to, like, put Daniel Brule in, like, some, like, bubblegum makeup or something eventually down the line. Like, melt his face off. Or... Did you did you order that um, uh, Disney yes, Plus Zemo? Yeah. 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 Yep. That's the only one I ordered from that wave. Yep. Like, <laughs> I want to, like, once I get him, I want to get, like, him, like, the comic Zemo I have and, like, the his, like, Heimrich Zemo figures and, like, let's have a Zemo dance party! Like, <laughs> Zemo dance off! There, that was romantic, right? Passionate, yeah! No, Brody. It was too little too late. Hello? We're secret brothers, Derek, but my Zemo is dancing. There, that was romantic, right? Passionate, yeah. No, Brody, that was too little too late. Well, holy fuck, I read, um, I read Barry Windsor Smith's Monsters, which, you know, makes, uh, what the story we're reading tonight look like fucking the McDonald's Express of, uh, fucking... <laughs> Torture and Nazi, like, whatever, but yeah, I think so.